0: Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast in partnership with Her Game 2 where we look at everything from the WSL to the National League and beyond. My name as always is Chess Warren and joining us to review the action it is Alex Piera. Hello Alex. Hello Chess, good to be back, good to see you. It's a good day today. It is, it is. It's always good to have you on the pod and also with us today it's Women's Sport Writing and Commentating and a Her Game 2 Ambassador is Polly Starkey. Hello Polly.
1: Hello, thanks so much for having me back on.
0: Later on, we're going to be having a mini-review of the season so far and we're also going to be speaking to our woman on the ground in New Zealand, Karis Newton, as preparation for the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand continue at a pace. We're going to start with England because it's international week and currently the Lionesses are out in the south of Spain, which I'm sure is nice work if you can get it. They're currently playing in Pinatar, where the Pinatar Cup was held earlier on this year, and they beat Japan 4-0 in an international friendly. Japan did make it difficult, and the Lionesses only had Rachel Daly's goal in the first half to show for their efforts, but the second half was very different, as Chloe Kelly, Ella Toon and a debut goal from our mini Messi, Jess Park, on her debut secured the victory. Serena Wiegmann was pleased with the victory. She said that Japan played a shape that they hadn't faced before. So it shows progression is going to be made ahead of the World Cup, doesn't it? Facing a different side. Polly, what did you think of this fixture?
1: Yeah, I thought it's, it's a really good matchup, up um, and I was so glad that Serena Wiegmann gave opportunities to younger players um, because I think, you know, she doesn't give caps out for free and I think that's really important. But at the same time, I was like, make some changes. It's a great opportunity ahead of the World Cup. Um, and I thought England just showed how much depth they have in that squad. And you think about the players that were missing. I mean, Lucy Bronze wasn't there. Alex Greenwood, a lot of that defence weren't there with Lear Williamson out as well. But I thought the players stepped up and it was a fantastic performance, especially in the second half.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point there you made about kind of up and coming and young players. There's been some selection of young players into the squad kind of through injury. Um, Alex, do you think that this is a good sign for the Lionesses that they do have young talent coming up through the ranks?
2: Definitely. And I also think, you know, with Jill Scott retiring, with Ellen White retiring, England need to find a way to kind of plug that gap because, you know, Ellen White, all-time leading goalscorer of women's football. How do you replace someone like that? And Jill Scott, very experienced. So, you know, to see Jess Park come on, get a debut goal, is really good to see. And it also shows that, you know, England can find a way to an even when they don't have the likes of Leah Williamson, who's injured. So it's good progression. And, you know, come the World Cup, who knows if everyone's going to be fit? So you need to be able to try out all these different combinations to find the one that works best.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point you made there because England were really lucky over the Euros this year that apart from realistically Jordan Nobbs, um she was the only player that was was kind of ruled out due to injury who would be featuring in the squad but also would she necessarily I I don't think she'd necessarily be starting in the starting 11 um anyway um in England in in their current in their current form but as you said, Ellen White has retired, so is Jill Scott. And Ellen White played an incredibly specific role um in the Euros of kind of tiring out tiring out the back lines to allow Alessia for for 60, 65 minutes to allow Russo to then come on and and score when they're not when when they're very fatigued um defensively. So lacking that really specific role that player was playing. It's re- been really interesting to see how kind of England England has changed. But Armini Messi, Polly, uh, what do you think of Jess Park? I thought her heat map was absolutely hysterical. Um, they posted it on the Lioness's account afterwards it was literally just a dot on the penalty spot, but she took a touch and then scored. But she's a super exciting player. Are you happy to see her in this England side?
1: Oh, 100%. I, I think she's class. And it's just, it's so nice when you see those players kind of come through and obviously she she couldn't have done better um, on that day and, and to come on and, and have that impact straight away, I think is great. And it's one of those games where, you know, England didn't need another goal. They they were up 3-0, but it just shows how far England can go. And the fact they've got such a young player coming in who can instantly have that impact and can perform alongside you know, the likes of, you've got other strikers like Beth Mead, Chloe Kelly, people like that, you know, J- Jess Park is up with them and I think she's just really proven herself. Um, so, yeah, I think she's got a great career ahead of her and it's really exciting that players like that are in contention for World Cup spots.
0: Another line that came out before this week's game was Beth Mead drawing criticism on social media after she was quoted in an article in The Guardian as saying that the makeup for the um, England squad in regard to the lack of black players, um, which won the Euros um, 2022, was coincidental. Now she claims that it was unfairly written. As she went on to clarify that she had other, she had said other things about inclusion in the article that weren't included. Ian Wright had said that he's had a good chat with her and Anya Luko called her cl- comments clumsy. Polly, what what do you make of this situation? Do you think as journalists, you sh- they should have a greater duty to fairly represent the people that they're interviewing? Or do you think that um, maybe Beth Mead needs a little bit of media training?
1: Um, I think it's a bit of both really, because I think obviously journalists have kind of a big responsibility of of putting out something that, that reflects the player. Um, And obviously, you know, I don't know Beth, me personally, but I don't think that is necessarily a a reflection of her. However, I think it's very likely that she could have said those comments. Um, I think it's one of those where, you know, from my perspective, as someone who is white, I don't see that systemic racism on a day to day basis. And I think we've become more aware of how in football and so many other sports that it is so in- institutionalized and, you know, there, there are reasons why we aren't seeing so many black players playing for England. And it and it's a problem that needs to be solved. I think the players in the the current England squad being aware of that is extremely important. So I think, you know, someone like Bethany does need to be aware of that. So I think it's great that Ian Wright, who's kind of the perfect person to talk to her about the, and, and has a personal relationship with her. So glad he spoke to her. But I think at the same time, you know, journalists need to be careful about what they're putting out about a player. Because, you know, especially with the profile that Linus has had now, that one thing could actually really kind of tarnish their reputation. So I think it's kind of two-sided. But I just, I hope that conversation between Beth and Ian w- was really purposeful.
2: Alex, what do you think on this situation? I think, to be honest... The fact that when Beth Mead was kind of asked about it, she didn't really apologize and say, Oh, that's not what I meant. She didn't really like kind of take accountability for what she'd said, which didn't really sit right with me. And at her, she's what, 27, 28. At that point, you shouldn't really have to go to the likes of Ian Wright and Ian and stuff like that to see that there's a bigger problem in racism, a uh, bigger, there's a big problem with racism in sport. You can see it. Like football especially women's football in this country is a predominantly white sport just like cricket is a predominantly white sport and we've seen instances in sport where it's institutionally racist and I do feel like sometimes when we talk about diversity and diversifying football especially South Asian footballers get left behind a a lot like I think there's only been one South Asian female footballer to represent England at any level, and that was at under-16 levels. So you kind of have to look at it. Why aren't these players coming through? Why isn't this happening? And it is down to the grassroots level. And I think, I don't want to go too harshly in on Beth Mead. It is about education, because I know at the beginning of the season, they asked the same question to Leah Williamson and to Lotta Woman moy and their answers were very different. And I think it's the fact that, you know, Lotta also said, you know, I'm very privileged you know I haven't had to come to any like barriers or instances like that so I think there was probably a better way to handle it I know people are all like oh she shouldn't have made the comment about the Ballon d'Or but completely glossed over the fact that she, you know she said it's not a coincidence that the England team and the team that won the Euros was predominantly white it just didn't sit right with me personally
0: yeah you you make an excellent point there i
2: I think if you
0: have to learn about institutional racism and just learning about it and not experiencing it, then you inherently have so much more privilege than the people around you. You should be working against that. It's great great that you mentioned about Lotta Boba Moy, Um, there and also Leah Williamson, especially, especially Lotta, is known to have spoken really widely um, about this issue because it seems to have played the the England squad now and it seems to have been a change from almost like 10 years ago when you had the likes of Enia Luca and Anita Asante um playing in, in the in the squad. Maybe it's a layover from obviously all of the issues with Mark Mark Sampson, but we'll we'll never know. But it's what everyone has to has to work on to make sure that th- those gaps are bridged because they really do need to be. Other results on Friday saw the USA come from behind to beat Germany in New Jersey. Jula Brand had given Germany the lead, but Sophia Smith scored her 11th national team goal of 2022, which means she's the youngest player to lead the USA in scoring in the calendar year since 21-year-old Mia Hamm led the team in scoring in 1993, which was seven years before Smith was born. Mallory Pugh scored the winner in a game which Alex Morgan incredibly won her two hundred cap for England. The USA celebrated this win, like they just won the World Cup, um, if I'm being completely honest, but Germany were out there subbing their goalie at halftime. Not to be the celebration police, but if you were the US, wouldn't you be worried right now coming into the international tournament they have
2: next year, they just can't compete on the same level of dominance that they used to anymore? Um, I think, I don't know whether it's the balance of the side, you know, because we saw a little bit like with the England... US game at Wembley that they actually decide to start with Rapino because I know a lot of the time she comes on like 60, 65th minute, whatever. But at the same time, you know, I feel like the US are getting found out a little bit because for so long they dominated women's football, particularly at World Cup level. And now, you know, they struggled against England, they struggled against Germany. Yeah, they beat Germany. But you know, it's kind of like we see it. We like we saw it with this current, with this cricket World Cup that's finished. England perhaps made it a little bit more difficult than they needed to be, but they've somehow found a way to grind out wins and stuff like that. So I feel like, in a way, the US is kind of like Chelsea, the Chelsea men's team, where they're sort of in a transitional period where they've still got a lot of the more experienced players, but perhaps is it time where you either go with a little bit of experience and go with a young side or you kind of model it in a way like England have done where they've got the balance right between youth and experience. So that might be something for the US to consider because especially they've got players that play in Europe, in the Women's Champions League, in the domestic leagues in England and stuff like that. But yet they're still... I don't know. For me, it seems like there's no cohesion. There's no like team unity with this US side. I might be wrong, but it just seems like there is a little bit of a disconnect at the minute. So maybe if they iron out perhaps some of those issues, obviously it's not on the same level as Spain, where it's like everyone, everyone who now plays for the Spain side and everyone who stepped away kind of booze each other and they start fighting on social media. It's not to that extent yet, but there's just something not quite right with this US side. And hopefully, you know, they get it sorted before the World Cup because we want to see them competing. Perhaps, perhaps, maybe not against England, although. England will probably be out for blood after the last World Cup, so who knows?
0: Yeah, definitely. It's the cohesion thing that you keep speaking about there. seems to... You don't always want to point that it's the coach and the the manager that's the issue there because it feels like some, sometimes that can be kind of a lazy out with saying, oh, the players aren't playing very well, must be the coach. But realistically, I think this poor run of results, the, that it is um, Blacko's kind of issue... Um he's heading out to Qatar to be with the US men's national team um, over the next month. So that's also very interesting to hear. Um, and yeah, but it's not, as you said, it's not to the extent of the Spanish national team. What was it? Bon Mati uh, refused to shake the hand of the um, the now goalkeeper. She's very interesting of the Spanish national team. Um, there was a tweet from the friend of a podcast, Mia Eriksson, about the amount of injuries being picked up on this international break. Uh Polly, do you think the full-on nature of the start of the season has caused this? Do you kind of see it in the same level in the um in the preseason tournament they have um in before the NWSL, where basically they come in after play three games a week and everyone gets injured? Do you think this is kind of the same thing we're seeing? Because there's so much international football happening alongside um alongside club? I mean, I think that's got to be a massive factor. It is so
1: concerning how many injuries are happening. And yeah, of course, injuries are going to happen within football, you know, is the nature of the sport. But I think the amount we've had in the last couple of weeks, especially... ACL injuries and injuries to do with knees is really worrying. Um and not only is it worrying for like obviously the welfare and the fitness of players, but actually then the quality of football that's being played. Um and also for teams to have that cohesion. You can't constantly have people coming in and out of in and out of the side due to injury. And so um I think it's something that does need to be looked at because yeah, heading into a World Cup and th- there's so much international football still to still to go and the, the amount of international breaks we've had so far in the season and it's like players are constantly getting injured and then they have to return to club and then they miss club games then the quality of the the leagues around the world gets reduced it's just it's a knock on effect um but i think certainly more research does need to go into kind of how to manage players physically um as well as obviously as men- uh, mentally as well because you know when you when you get injured that will affect the players as well so i think yeah a, a lot of work does need to be done and maybe reviewing the calendar and just saying okay actually what's necessary what's not necessary um and i think a lot of teams have done well in terms of resting players for international duty. And I think that's that's been really good. And there's clearly been some communication between clubs and national teams. But I think that needs to happen on a wider scale and not leave it up to individuals or clubs to, to sort out themselves.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely not the sort of person that would say like, oh, there needs to be that, like, get rid of international football because club football is the most important. But genuinely, I think there needs to be an increase in the the amount of club games that, that these players are playing and a decrease in international fixtures. The sheer amount of friendlies do seem, it seems excessive, especially with the, like, they were talking about the Everton postponement um, for the fact that their their last game got postponed. So they didn't play from like mid-October until mid-November. Like that's a long time to go without playing club football. You're not going to both pick up the momentum within like increasing the fan base, but also like within the team, how are you meant to kind of like properly promote cohesion in in your squad um and trust me i love international football so i'm not saying that as a as a detriment but also it would i feel like it increases the gap between players who play on an international level to players who don't um because those those players on an international level are getting so many more competitive games than than their um, non-international counterparts. If you think of the amount of players who are wanting to play for England, it's not hard not to get picked for the England squad. Just look at, I mean, literally Beth England at the moment, a striker at the top of her game, but she's not getting minutes, so she's not being picked. So, I I don't know. I think something really does need to be done there, but that comes with the expansion of the WSL because if they played all the WSL fixtures all in one go, then I'm sure they could get it over and done almost before Christmas, which is not what we want either. But elsewhere, on Saturday, Wales ended their 2022 schedule with a 1-1 draw against Finland. Wales led at half-time thanks to Carrie Jones' 31-minute tap-in after Jess Fishlock's run into the box caused problem for the Finnish defence. Evelina... Summeren levelled after the break with a cool penalty after Rhiannon Roberts was harshly adjudged to have handled the ball. Elsewhere, differing fortunes for the World Cup host nations as New Zealand Aytora um, lost at home to South Korea, but Australia made history as the Matildas claimed their biggest ever win over a team ranked in the top five. Ironically, Australia are managed by Tony Gustavsson, who is Swedish, and it was his WSL players who did the damage as Caitlin Ford grabbed two with Sam Kerr and Manchester City's Mary Fowler also scoring. With the World Cup less than a year away, we caught up with our girl on the ground, Karis Newton, who's out in Auckland and told us how the preparations for the tournament are going.
3: Oh yeah, the excitement out here is getting real, especially coming off the back of the women's rugby world cup out here has just been a phenomenal tournament. It's landed really well. So now people are sort of turning their attention to the upcoming football, football world cup here in Aotearoa next year.
0: Yeah. Is there a particularly strong footballing or soccer culture um, in the country? Because I think you see with with especially the Matildas in Australia, you know it's established there, but maybe the New Zealand women's national team isn't as established. Do you feel like it's being reflected in, in kind of how, how it's being portrayed in the media? Do you think there's a big enough culture to host?
3: Oh, definitely. And, and it's a growing it's a growing sport out here. Look, Kiwis will generally get behind any team sport. We're shopping, swapping the egg-shaped ball for the round ball. Um, but ultimately, everybody is on board. It's a growing sport out here. And and more and more women, young girls, non-binary are getting out there and um, playing the game. It's great to see. Um, and remember that New Zealand Aotearoa has just hosted... Uh, the women's cricket world cup with just hot off the heels of the women's rugby world cup both of which have been uh, incredibly well received even though the cricket was somewhat marred by the omicron uh, outbreak the the c word the covid word but hopefully that's the thing of a past and we're all ready to jump back in next year with the football
0: do you think that there'll be any issues with um like the stadiums and get, getting those ready in the infrastructure or do you think the infrastructure is all there to um allow new zealand to host the tournament
3: I think the infrastructure is there. The the stadiums being used are well established stadiums mm-hmm. already. That it's it's not, you know, looking to the Men's World Cup out in Caton. They've had to build entirely new infrastructure out there. Part of the pitch is that they're using existing stadiums out here. It makes it economically and environmentally friendly. Um, as well and those stadiums out here are hosted in some of the biggest cities so you've got Wellington Hamilton Auckland on the North Island and then Dunedin in the South Island the the biggest loser in within the country here is Christchurch who still do not have a stadium that's been an ongoing saga um, out here but Dunedin's hosted the likes of Ed Sheeran and the Men's Rugby World Cup etc we're good to go.
0: Yeah, awesome. Is there a game in particular that's being hosted in in New Zealand that you're specifically looking forward to in the group stages?
3: It's such a cop out, but the opener. Um, Mm. I think New Zealand-Norway at Eden Park is going to be, I think the atmosphere is going to be incredible. And I think, I know Norway had a slightly lacklustre Euros campaign, but I think Ada Hergeberg's team has a really fantastic set of players if they can kind of gel and, and, and bring it next year, I think they're, they're possibly well poised to win that group um, as well. So I think, I, th- I think it's going to be a, good, a, a really good match. And then obviously the USA in Wellington um, mm. in that, in that E is, is always one to watch. Though again, coming off their, their defending champions, but coming off their Tokyo campaign was perhaps a little disappointing. So it's, it's, it's definitely open. Um, I think I think all eyes are, are on a few different teams next year
0: yeah for sure I think especially with the US they've just lost three games in a row um, for yeah, the first time I've...
3: in a long in, in a I think it was
0: 1992 is the last time that that's happened they've lost on home soil um, as, as well which is it is a massive deal, especially against European sides. And yeah, as you said, um, with New Zealand playing Norway in that opener, I think that's going to be really exciting off off the back of what you said there. Norway didn't have a particularly strong Euros, whether they can um, regroup and get themselves together. And also that home support. I mean, you saw it with England um, over the Euros this, this year, but when New Zealand kind of have the wind behind them um, as you saw in in the friendly matches that they were playing against Australia like earlier on this year there was one where they looked like they were going to win until Sam Kerr managed to pull out the bag um, and score two in the last in the in the dying minutes of the game and snatch it back for the matildas um i really think that when they're going to have the home support behind them they'll really fly and see some interesting results paris um I'm gonna ask you this now I'm sure we'll get you on again for another um for another snippet in the podcast or a full recording if we can get you to stay up late enough um in your time <laughs> zone before before Happy the to. Uh, before the world cup actually starts but who do you have who do you have your money on and also who's going to be your dark horse of the tournament
3: oh that's a very good question chess I think for me potentially Canada um again coming off their their Tokyo campaign um, I thought they were phenomenal um, I would love to see England make it through um, through to the at least the semis hopefully the finals I thought their euros campaign was fantastic and I think they've that the lionesses have earned it um, I, I think yeah that that side is is definitely is it is it fair to say they're a dark horse possibly not being as they current current European champions yeah um, and look, the, the football ferns have nothing to lose. They're they're out here. They're going to bring everything. They they want to win a match at a World Cup. Um, it is a developing sport here. That would be a first for them. They have absolutely nothing to lose. So I would love to see them bring the heat in the group stages.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important. You've got a couple of teams that, that seem to have nothing to lose. Republic of Ireland being um, one of them too, which is absolutely. what we've, we've spoken about a lot here on this podcast, how exciting it is. Um to get Katie McCabe and the rest of her squad to the World Cup. But thank you so much, Karis, um, for com- for coming on here. And I'm sure we're gonna have you on again um before the World Cup starts. Great, Namihi. Before we move on to domestic matters, um though, the highly successful Arnold Clark Cup is back. The teams are Italy, South Korea, Belgium, and England. Alex, who are you most excited to see?
2: To be honest, South Korea, I didn't even know there were, there was enough interest in South Korea to have a women's team. So it's great if there's a way to get South Korea and to get football into countries like South Korea. And I kind of like the fact that it's not the same teams in the same group. And I know obviously there's talks about a women's Nations League, which would also really help, you know, get more get more of the word of women's football out there and stuff like that. So I think it's a really positive thing, but I'm really excited to see South Korea.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a um, return to um, return to the UK for G, who's obviously just left to go back to South Korea after a um, fantastic career and long career at Chelsea. Now about four or five um, South Korean players in the WSL as well, so it'll be interesting to see them playing with their national side. Cho Soyun being one of them, but Polly, they're not the same teams as last time. Um, And some would argue with the inclusion of Italy and Belgium, who are not teams to be sniffed at, but it's not on the same level as Canada, um, Canada, Germany and Spain, which was a really tough tournament. I think something that was particularly needed um, before the Euros this summer. Do you think think it's a bit disappointing with the calibre of teams or realistically when you start off? With having Spain, Canada and Germany, there's not really much further you can go. You can't get much, much higher up in the rankings than those teams.
1: Yeah, as you say, you can't get much higher than that. Um, I think a little bit uh, because I don't think it's necessarily going to be amazing World Cup prep for England um, because they are going to come up against harder sides. But at the same time, it it gives Serena another opportunity to you know find out what works um but also it, it means that England can't get too complacent and they've, they've you know still got to be really switched on I mean I'm really excited to see Belgium I've got Belgian cousins so you know we always get behind Belgium but I you know I can't wait to see uh what they're like on an international stage and I haven't seen Italy play that much same with South Korea so um I think it's a great opportunity for, for them to come over and, and, and play England but at the same time I do think yeah, the, the calibre of the tournament is going to be a little bit lower than last year. But again, you know, with football, anything can happen. So um yeah, no, I think it's gonna be a great tournament though, regardless.
0: Back to domestic matters now. We're now six or seven games into the WSL season. So I think we can have a little look back over what's happened and give our opinion on how it's turning out so far. It's really looking like, it's going to be a game of seeing if Arsenal are going to blink like they did last season for that WSL trophy. Alex, have the Gunners been impressive or have they just won must-win games?
2: I think they've kind of won the games they've needed to win. Like It's been good to see them adapt without Leah Williamson. You know, she's a strong presence in the side. So defensively, they've been quite good. But I'm curious to know how when the time comes when they come up against, you know, City, United, Chelsea, whether they're going to still have that dominance or whether, like you say, they might crumble.
0: Who's been your standout player across the league so far, Polly, this season?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think Rach Daly's been amazing for Villa. Um, I've loved watching her. I think I love seeing her um, kind of in, in that forward position. I just think... She needs to be doing that for England a bit more because, um, you know, she, she gets the goals and she's been brilliant. Um, but also, Caitlin Ford for Arsenal. I cannot speak more highly of, of that player. I think mean, Caitlin's amazing. She she did really well for Australia in, in the Sweden game. But then for Arsenal, she's been remarkable as well. So I think they're probably my two standout players.
0: What about for you, Alex?
2: I'm going to go with Lauren James, to be honest. Like, I think she's got, what, three goals in her last three games, um, she's really impressed me you know taking on the number 10 shirt after G who was so good in that position and that role for so long it's going to be interesting to see how she would kind of cope with that you know and she did pretty well on preseason. scored an athlete banger in pre-season so much so that her brother even gave her mad props on Twitter um, I think she's forming a really nice partnership with Sam Kerr her and Sam are assisting each other now which is really good and that's what it's kind of similar to England. When say like Fran's not been there, Lauren stepped up, and it's like it's a coming sort of a coming of age season for Lauren because obviously you know she spent she spent three years at United, then came to Chelsea last season, was pretty much injured for a large majority of that season. So it was going to be interesting to see how um, she she was going to do getting more game time. I mean perhaps. I wouldn't personally have kissed the badge after scoring, but that's, that's her prerogative against scoring against your former club. But, you know, Lauren James, Reese James, they're kind of two players that really do kind of care about Chelsea and they kind of embody what Chelsea is about in a sense. So I think her, her and Sam personally, you know, forming that partnership is just only hopefully going to get better. I would have said Sam Kerr, but she kind of started... Slow in the WSL, but she did make up for it in the Champions League, becoming the first player to score four goals in a Champions League match. So hopefully next year will be the year she finally gets that Ballon d'Or because she, I, I thought she deserved it this year. People disagreed. I thought she had a phenomenal season for Chelsea, Golden Boot winner. She won every domestic title in the country except the Conti Cup became her country's leading all-time goal scorer, male or female. So when you kind of have those achievements like that, it's kind of it's kind of baffling why she didn't win it. But I can understand Pateas winning it. She was very good for Barcelona, very good for Barca in the Champions League. So I'm not too disheartened about that. I know Arsenal fans are all kind of like should have been Beth Mead, but realistically other than the Euros and towards the latter stages of the Euros she didn't really score or assist that much and she didn't really light up for Arsenal as much as people thought she would. So I can kinda, you know. Yeah, see- I think I
0: think vaguely going into the Beth Ballandor Ballon d'Or conversation, because we've we've dipped into it a little bit there. Um Arsenal's international form just is not good enough to warrant one of their players winning the Ballon d'Or. And I know that sounds really harsh, but it's just the truth. They failed to perform um internationally. And and that's and that's probably one of the main reasons why. Um, obviously Alexis Puteus wasn't in the Euros, and I know they didn't win the Champions League. I know they lost the final. Uh, but having an incredibly strong season, um, for her club and then also for her club, um, across the, like, a- across the Champions League up until that that final stage, I think, I think it does kind of put her, um, head and shoulders above, um, above Beth Mead, and also she didn't lose out by one point. It was like thirty five, so. Fair enough. Um, And also the thing you say about Lauren James and and kissing the badge, even as a United fan, I don't mind that too much. Go on. I love it. Especially as what is she? So she was a Chelsea fan who ended up playing for United as a youngster and then went back to Chelsea. And then Alessia Russo also scored in that match, who is a Manchester United fan who was, when she was younger, played for Chelsea and then is now at Manchester United. So I was like, oh, allow it. They've got a bit of both from that side. Uh, but Polly, I know you kind of, you mentioned Rach Daly before, so you might have shot yourself in the foot a little bit for this next question. Uh, but maybe apart from um, Rach, what signing has made the most impact for their team so far this season?
1: Yeah, obviously I would say Rach Daly probably. Um, I think Mayor Letizia's been great for Man United. Um, I think, I mean, her debut <laughs> speaks volumes. Uh, but no, I think she's been really consistent in the fact that she's got an England call-up off the back of it. Um, I think says a lot. Um, but yeah, I just have to always go back to Rach Daly because I think, um, you know, hearing from what some of the girls at Villa have said, just the impact she has obviously on the pitch, but also off the pitch um, has been really important and kind of, you know, encouraging the younger players and, and being a, a really friendly face around the group. I, th- I think that's really important. So for me, uh, yeah, Rachel Daly, but then also Mayor Leticia.
0: Alex, has there been anyone else
2: who stood out for you? I, I'd probably have to agree with Polly on uh, Rachel Daly. I mean, she's been in fantastic goal-scoring form. She even scored on international duty. You know, she can play anywhere on the pitch. I think the only position she probably hasn't played is goalkeeper. So who knows, that might be in the future. But I think Villa did extremely well to get Rachel Daly, and especially because she she still was on a contract at Houston Dash, so I'm I'm not sure how much money they had to fork out. A lot of things in her personal life have happened, so she wanted to be close to I'm Absolutely fine, and she's absolutely bossing it. So she she deserves all the praise she's getting, and I don't normally praise non-Chelsea players. So there we go. So it really
0: says something. I remember um in the pre in the pre-match before their game against the Nether the England game against the Netherlands, um, before the Euros, um, she said that um, when asked, You're a centre forward, you've been scoring goals for fun in the NWSL, why do you play left back? Like, why are you playing at the back for, for England? What what's going on? Why would you do it? And she turned around and said, If she really turned around to ask me to play goalkeeper, I would do anything for my country. Um, and so as as you said there, maybe she'll put on a goalkeeper shirt for Villa. I mean, Georgia Stanway had one printed for for City last season. So you never know. Weirder things have happened in the WSL. So Alex, kind of to wrap it up before I try and get you to tell me who you think is gonna win the league and why it isn't gonna be Chelsea. Um, who have you expected more from so far this season? Both both a player and I want so I want a player and I want a team as well.
2: I think Chelsea, to be honest, like it's been, it's been, I say this, but they have won six out of their first seven games. But the performance against Liverpool was just very strange, like very un-Chelsea-like. They're very unsettled at the back. Like they've only kept two clean sheets in the league, once against City and once against Brighton. And to be honest, for a team like Chelsea, that's not good enough yeah they're scoring goals but then maybe it's indicative of the league becoming more competitive but then you see like you know Arsenal celebrating um nine wins on the trot or something without scoring a goal congratulations on your medal for winning nine nine games in a row without conceding but you know it's not a real trophy but I think Chelsea have adapted well with not having Emma Hayes and I know she's there on the iPad and she was there I think at the most recent game in the stands and that is only a positive sign. But obviously they don't want to rush her back before she's ready. I just think Chelsea have made some decent signings. Arguably some of them I know I know some bloke on Twitter, I can't remember his name. He was very much like, Oh, Chelsea don't need to strengthen this side or that side. I'm sorry, but are you the manager? Do you do you know that she's trying to win the Champions League? So she needs to kind of strengthen, because God forbid Millie Bright gets injured or Magda Eriksson, and obviously now Penilla Harder's out with her hamstring on international duty so it's like you've got to have players that can kind of fill in in those gaps but I think in terms of like a good signing I've been really impressed with Eve Perisay because she's come on she's done her job actually takes some pretty good corner kicks hopefully she'll get that goal soon but I would say Chelsea have started slowly but I feel like just as they start to build momentum, the international break comes, and then you're just like, great, great. But I think, you know, with them playing at Stamford Bridge on Saturday, on Sunday, it being a sellout crowd, that's really good. I I don't know what it is about Chelsea Spurs in the WSL at the bridge. It seemed, They just seem to love to sell it out. And with the announcement earlier today, with, I think, Chelsea's last Women's Champions League game, being at the bridge as well against PSG, hopefully that'll be a really good crowd as well. So I think Chelsea are looking good. And I think then passing that test of United is a step in the right direction. But I do think, you know, United have actually really impressed me this season. You know, everyone's always talking about City this, City that. I personally think that United will finish higher than City. I'm not sure who's gonna win it. It's gonna be. It's definitely gonna be between Arsenal and Chelsea. I'd love to say it'd be Chelsea, but it's just Arsenal are gonna have to drop some serious points. You never know. They might drop points against Brighton again. So who knows? But I would. I'd love to sit here and say Chelsea are gonna win everything under the sun. But I just don't think that's realistic. I think the leagues become. More competitive. The league's become more
0: competitive yeah completely and so like now it isn't just the the well we say it isn't just the top three sides it will be not the top three sides when someone actually someone else breaks into that top three but yeah Polly uh, over to you who have you expected more from um so far this season both a team and also a player
1: um team wise I think this might be a bit of a kind of rogue answer but I think Reading actually I kind of had higher hopes of them because I know they're not like generally great, but I think some of their performances have been appalling. And like, I know, I get the other week, you know, they were playing against Man City. You had, you know, Lauren Hemp on fire, but I just think they're a little bit sloppy. And I kind of like those lower teams. I get that, you know, they're not going to be able to compete necessarily with City, United, Arsenal, Chelsea, you know, the 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 top teams. But I kind of just want to see a bit more because a lot of the time it seems there isn't that fight from some of the teams and I think that it doesn't make for good games um so yeah but at the same time you know I get this it's a little bit harsh um I think in terms of individuals it's kind of difficult one I think it's probably to do with injury but I think Alessia Russo she's had a good a decent start to the season but I kind of wanted to see more um I think especially coming off the euros I kind of had higher expectations but you know again I get she got injured so coming back from that um has been more difficult so yeah but I think um I would I mean a couple of weeks ago I probably would have said man city but I think actually they've, they've turned it around quite well because I was really worried at the start of the season with obviously them losing so many players um so, yeah, but I think, um, yeah, it's been it's an interesting one. But, I, 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 yeah, I don't want to necessarily pick out individuals that I think haven't done
0: as well because, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it was the FA Cup first round this weekend. Concept pulled off a shock of the round as they became the only seventh tier side to reach the second round. Seventh-tier concept are now the lowest-ranked side left in the Vitality Women's FA Cup after they beat Warrington Wolves 2-1 in the first round proper. Check out the scenes on Twitter as they all invaded the pitch with joy. Sutton Coalfield were another team to upset the odds as they kicked out Leefield Athletic, who sit one step above them on penalties. Litchfield City emerged 5-3 winners over Ashfordby, with a game full of drama and fine strikes to reach the second round for the first time. The only other Tier 7 side left in the competition, Marlburton Wanderers, experienced a more difficult afternoon as they lost 8-1 against FA Women's National League Division 1 Southeast side at MK Dons. Ashford United came out on top in a battle between two Tier 6 sides as they defeated Clapton Community 2-1. Clapton could not repeat last year's heroics when they became the first ever Tier 7 team to reach the third round as Jodie Kane scored the winner for Ashford three minutes From time. York City was stung by the Cheadle Town Stingers, who won 2 1 on penalties after a 2 2 draw to send the away side into the second round for the first time. Cheadle, who sit one step below York, took the lead in the fourth minute, only for the host to hold the advantage at half time thanks to goals from Fliss Jones and Alice Hughes. Rachel Dunlop equalised for the Stingers with nine minutes of normal time remaining before they held their nerve from the spot with only Olivia Sellers converting from York's five attempts. She was rewarded a home tie against National League North side Burnley. All of the teams in the National League North and South avoided any upsets. That's it for this week. We're going to be back next week to review the action and bring you the latest news from the women's game. Um, Alex, where can we find you on social media?
2: I am at Alex Jane Pereira. That's spelled P-E-R-E-I-R-A. I only spell it because most people cannot and that is on twitter and instagram and um, polly
0: what about you where can people find you uh
2: you can find me on twitter which
1: is polly starkey04 i think and instagram which is polly underscore starkey
0: and you can follow us on twitter at twfp1 and on instagram at the women's football podcast please subscribe and leave us a review as well because that massively helps us out have a great week guys